Good morning and welcome to episode 729 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? All right. So do you remember a couple of days ago we talked about uh, how bad a guy's ERA would be before we would take him from the rotation if he had a perfect record? Yes, and I had a, a, a fairly nonsensical answer of saying that even though I know that I should, I wouldn't for mystical reasons that I couldn't quite explain. Uh-huh. And you were going to think about it further? Maybe. Yeah, I didn't. No, I, yeah, and I did not. <laughs> okay. But I was uh, reading Baseball Maverick, which is the book that Steve Ketman wrote about Sandy Alderson mm-hmm. recently. And uh, there is actually a uh, an anecdote that I feel like, I don't know if it validates my position or if it just sort of shows that me and Sandy Alderson maybe have the same uh, mental blocks or what. But back in 2013, I want to say, there was basically the uh, Mets were having trouble with Ike Davis and um, Ruben Tejada. And both of them were struggling and both of them were just really doing nothing. And the Mets thought long and hard and decided Finally, that yes, they would send them down. They didn't even have anybody really to replace them with. There were no like great options they were going to call up. They just, as uh, as saw, as a as a writes, Alderson felt so strongly about the need to make the move, he was ready to go. So they talked. He talked about it with his manager. Uh, let's get this over with. Collins adamantly agreed. Everything was good. They're going to do it after the game. The game starts. The game is nearly over. They're about to lose to the Yankees. Alderson goes down to the coach's office so that he can be there and have this conversation. And while he's down there, the Mets stage this miraculous comeback against Mariano Rivera, who was 18 for 18 uh, at that point in uh, the season-saving games. And uh, they came back. They beat him. They got three straight hits and one. Tejada was not one of the people who got a hit. Ike Davis was not one of the people that got a hit. And yet... Just then, in those two minutes, I'm going to read. It all happened with two or three minutes. Within two or three minutes, Alderson said, Murphy got the double down the line. Wright singled him in and went to second on the throw. And then Duda on the second p- pitch hit that dunker behind second base, and it was all over. Boom! Alderson was elated. He watched for Collins walking in from behind the dugout and flashed him the safe sign, meaning not tonight. He totally agreed. Alderson said, "We didn't even have to discuss it. We didn't want to screw up, screw with what was going on in the clubhouse." The Yankees hadn't lost a game they'd led after six innings until that night. It was the first time in Rivera's career he had not got a single out in a save situation. It's incredible. Big history win given Rivera's history. Davis and Tejada gained a reprieve at the 11th hour. That didn't mean they avoided a talking to, just that it had no plane ticket attached to it this time. Both players were informed that if not for the amazing comeback against Rivera, they'd have been sent out. So kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> there, was, there was no reason, like nothing changed about Davis or Tejada, uh, it's not like really as though the like the decision two minutes earlier had been made with tons and tons of thought, and then for totally unrelated, uh, good vibes, winning related reasons, they just immediately knew like, eh, not now, can't do it now, can't yeah. do it, we just won, <laughs> and uh, I sort of like that's kind of how I feel. Like I, I I think that when you when you tell guys that you're rejecting them or that you're demoting them, you want them to kind of understand. Uh, I think it's healthy for the relationship and for their long-term health or whatever 
for them to understand, for them to sort of feel like, yep, yeah, okay, these guys, it's not totally arbitrary and it's not totally stupid. And I think if a guy, I, I think what they were kind of thinking was that it's harder to get them to buy into your decision or to see your decision when two minutes earlier you're all celebrating and you feel like you're part of this great team. And it's the same with the pitcher who's 10-0 and with the 9.8 ERA. Like, it, he's just going to be like, yeah, but I'm 10-0. and And if you, you do kind of want to wait for him to lose so that you can bring him in after that loss and go, well, you sure did lose. <laughs> I agree that it makes it a little easier. It's it still seems to me like you could you could probably convey what you want to convey if if it's obvious I mean if it's if it's a miraculous comeback kind of thing like that that those players played no role in they would and have the, to think that they were Gonny Jones on a dunk. Yeah, turned on a dunk by the way just a little dunk <laughs> yeah so they'd have to think that they were Gonny Jones and had some mystical ability to make the team win while sitting on the bench in order to be aggrieved about that, really. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that anybody was saying or that they thought that Tejada and Davis would misunderstand and think that they had been, like, the key factors in that win. Right. I mean, I don't think it makes any more sense in this situation as it does when I did. And yet, I feel somewhat validated because Sandy Alderson's really super smart. He is. All right, you're a baseball maverick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got anything to uh, to talk about? Nope. Okay. All right, so I wanted to go over some World Series odds. And uh, sometimes when I say World Series odds, I mean our odds over at Baseball Prospectus, uh, which are calculated by simulations of the season based on our tr- best estimates of the true talent of each team. And sometimes when I talk about odds, I mean the odds that you can get betting on a team at Las Vegas. And today I want to talk about them both in coordination with each other. So I've looked at the um, at the current line for every team. I'm watching Shelby Miller just get dunked to death. And uh, there was a, <laughs> He's a swinging, swinging bunt that very nearly <laughs> was a hit with the bases loaded. I just couldn't believe it. All right. What was I talking about? Talking about World Series odds. All right. Uh, so I have the current lines for the World Series and uh, that you can get in Vegas for each team that is still alive. And I also have the baseball prospectus odds for uh, the World Series. And I want to look at where they differ and talk to you about why they differ. The first thing that I'll note is that these odds in Las Vegas are designed uh, to make money off people who are um, not good at math. And so they add up to more than one team winning the World Series, basically. Mm-hmm. And so you have to uh, kind of adjust them to, I think, the the phrase is the implied odds. And uh, that basically means that, wow, what a weird play that was. That was a weird play. This is, I should turn this off. I got to turn this off. It's, <laughs> not, it's too weird of a baseball thing happening in front of me. All right. <laughs> the ways uh, in which Shelby Miller continues not to win. So basically, stranger and stranger. So basically, you adjust all of these odds so that they exist in a world where only one team wins the World Series. And so I'll just note that every team in Vegas has is given better chances to win than they actually have because they're designed to, or worse chances, I guess, to win than they actually have because it's designed to take your money. But I'm going to be looking at the implied odds, which is adjusted to kind of reflect reality as, uh, as like a ratio, right? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Okay. So there are... Currently, 
uh, 20 teams that still have World Series odds because they're not totally eliminated. So if you want, Ben, you could still go out and bet on the White Sox, Red Sox, and Mariners at 500 to 1. I'll pass. All right. And uh, you're probably right to, although our World Series odds have the Red Sox and the Mariners still at about 1 in 1,000. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you could, I, I don't know what the rounding is, but it's probably a bad bet. It is a bad bet. I thought they'd make the playoffs before the season, so I should stick to my guns. The White Sox have zero not chance. The, not the White Sox. They were your yeah. team. I did pick them to win the division. I, yeah. That's true. All right. Uh, the Orioles, Rays, Giants, and Nationals. If you want, you could bet at 300 to 1. You want to take any of them? Eh. I've never made a bet on baseball in my life, so. I'm probably not going to start now, but no. even if I did, probably not. Those of those, bets. of those, our our odds give the Nationals about one in five hundred. The others are about one in a thousand. Not a good bet. All right, so we're going to get now to the teams with actual odds. The Indians at a hundred to one in Vegas, which is implied odds of about one in a hundred and thirty, or like uh, seven seven tenths of one percent. Baseball prospectus odds are about six-tenths of 1%, so that's pretty close. Mm-hmm. The Angels, uh, Vegas odds have them at 2% to win the World Series. And Baseball prospectus has them at 0.4%. So that's about five times the chances, according to Vegas, uh, that we give them. Uh, why do you think the Angels continue to have, or you can pick which side you want, but do you think that the Vegas odds are high or the... BP odds are low. Where do you, where do you think is the the gap here? Well, they're only four back in the West, which is a lot at this point, but not totally insurmountable. And they're what two and a half back of the. They're I mean they're they're tied with the Twins. We're recording this like before most of Monday's game, so we might be slightly out of date here by the time you hear this, but. The Angels are only two and a half back of the Astros in that second wildcard slot, two in the loss column. So that doesn't seem like it would be way less than a 2% chance. Of course, we're talking about making the World Series, and so just making the wildcard game, you've got like a 50% shot to make the division series, and then there are all the subsequent rounds. And so it's it's pretty hard to do the math in my head between 2% and point. 4% or whatever it is. Yeah. I I think that there's, uh, when you have, the wild card math is always kind of hard to to do because there's like a bunch of teams. It, it seems like two and a half is not that far back, but you not only have to come back against that team, but then there are other teams who have to not be better than you mm-hmm. during that time. And so I think there's always a, a possibility to take advantage of people with wild card math because it always looks better than it is. It's like, oh, wow, they're only four and a half back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they're like 30. 30 teams between them and uh, them. So uh, the Angels, I will note, and this is uh, the reason that I mentioned the Angels. The Angels at this point have, and this is why they're low, incidentally. This is why they're so low uh, in baseball perspective. So the Angels currently have the lowest expected winning percentage of any AL West team. Huh. We P- Pakoda now thinks that the Angels have become the worst team in the AL West. Wow, um, and I think as if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I'm not. At the beginning of the year, they were favored. They had the highest expected winning percentage, and Pakota doesn't change his mind a ton as seasons go on because a lot of the projections are going to stay fairly steady. And I'm trying to think. I mean, 
the Angels obviously lost or gave away Josh Hamilton, but uh, they haven't been crushed by injuries. They're basically their their starting team is still starting, um, and uh, and yet they've basically dropped in Pakota's mind from like a like an eighty eight true talent team to like a seventy seven true talent team just by being bad this year, hmm. uh, which is a pretty big reevaluation. And partly that is this also reflects their schedule. Uh, and they have a tough schedule, which, uh, in one way of looking at it, you could say, oh, well, that really helps them. They get to play the Rangers and the Astros. They can make up a lot of ground. Another way of looking at it is, wow, they have to play the Rangers and the Astros, the two, you know, the two teams good ahead teams. of them. Yeah. Yeah, good teams. At least one good team. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the Twins, same odds as the Angels, same standings as the Angels in the wild card, although they don't have the uh, the shot at the division. It's basically impossible for the Angels to win the division and not be good enough to win the wild card. Though. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have uh, the same odds in Vegas, half the odds that the Angels do, according to uh, Pakoda. By Pakoda, the Twins are actually a horrible, horrible bet here, and that's presumably because the Twins are projected to be even worse than the Angels. Their expected winning percentage is worse than any team in the AL Central. So right now, the two teams challenging the Astros for that second wildcard spot are, by Pakoda's measure, the worst team in the AL West and the worst team in the AL Central. And uh, now that I actually look at it, the worst team, they would be the worst team in the AL East. So essentially, the two worst teams, it's not quite this because the Angels are projected to be better than the White Sox and the Tigers, but like the two worst teams in the American League are the Astros' competition right now. Mm -hmm. Do you... Do you find that objectionable? Well, when we talked to Brandon Warren last week about the Twins, he covers the Twins closely, and he thought they were not a 500 team today as currently constituted. So it doesn't seem insane that it would be that way. I guess maybe it surprises me a little bit that the White Sox have a higher expected winning percentage than the Twins. That seems a little far-fetched, or maybe the... The post-deadline depleted Tigers, but it doesn't shock me that it would take longer for their projection to change. But yeah, it, it seems a little surprising to me that the Twins would be worse than all of those teams. Okay, I'm going to look at the next two in tandem, the Astros and the Rangers. So this is actually what got me looking at this in the first place. The Rangers are right now favored to win the division. Uh, they are 60% to 37% over the Astros, according to our playoff odds. And yet, they have much, much, much lower World Series odds. And at first, this seems uh, like it has to be a mistake because uh, the Astros are likely going to have to basically win one extra coin flip just to get to where the Rangers are likely to be if they win the division. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like almost, well, it kind of seems almost impossible that a team could be favored to win the division and yet be 4% to win the World Series, while the Astros are 10% to win the World Series. And, in fact, Vegas agrees with that, with not with Pakoda, but with the objection. Um, the Rangers are, you can bet 10-1 to 1 on them to win the World Series. The Astros, 18-1 to 1 to win the World Series, uh, converting those to the implied odds. Basically, Vegas thinks the Astros have a 4% chance to win it, and the Rangers have a 7% chance. So, in fact, it's 10% for the Astros, 4% for the Rangers. 
And I've, I've talked to a couple of people about this who think that's weird. Is there something wrong? Mm-hmm. Do you Fangraphs a, has it the same way, by the way, if you're wondering if it's just a quirk of projection of well, Pocota or something. If someone, I'm not. If someone listening was, uh-huh. uh, the Astros have a, a higher winner, a World Series percentage and a, a lower division winning percentage. So it seems to be every, every possible way of handicapping this race seems to come to that conclusion. Yeah, and the reason for this is that we sometimes refer to postseason series as being coin flips. They're short series. They're not nearly enough time for true talent to to truly emerge. And yet they actually are long enough for true talent to really have a big advantage. And I wrote about this last year when the Royals made the World Series and how unexpected it was. It's not like they won three coin flips in a row. It's that they they were... Like at one point, like I think when they played the Angels, it was like 73% likely that the Angels would win that series if you believe our true talent levels for them. Mm-hmm. So right now we have the Astros as the second best team in the American League. And we have, you and I have talked about how uh, we didn't think they were all that real in April. And then sure enough, they've been playing at sub 500 since then. And yet that disguises the fact that they've become a very good team. They added. Um, a very good pitcher in Scott Casimir. They added an extremely good player in Carlos Gomez. They added an extremely good player in Carlos Correa. They added a very good pitcher in Lance McCullers. I mean, they are a much better team, and they have one of the best run differentials in baseball this year, so Pakoda has adjusted its expectations upward based on that. They have uh, uh, one of the best third-order winning percentages in baseball this year. And at this point, Pakoda thinks that they are the second-best team in the American League behind only the Blue Jays, and they think that the Rangers are the, you know, the fourth best team in the AL Central, Um, and so, uh, like, if you put them in a head-to-head matchup in a postseason series, the Astros would probably be, like, 65 or 70 percent favored, depending on home field and depending on uh, whether it was a five- or seven-game series, and so, while the Astros are at a huge disadvantage because they would have to win a, a wild card spot, uh, or sorry, would have to win a wild card game, uh, they have basically the same chances of making the playoffs in some capacity. And once they get there, the Astros will be, we think, heavily favored. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, this is, I think, this is a rare case. It is a rare case where, if Pakoda is correct, then they would actually be a good bet, like not just with implied odds. But with actual odds, they like they're you could get you basically get you know eighteen to one on a team that we think is ten to one to win the World Series. You should, if you believe us, if you want to put your money where your podcast earbuds uh-huh. are, you could take your money. And life go to savings, Vegas. all of it. All Every not cent. just your life, not just your life savings. A mortgage, you should you should People take out around, a loan. People around use life savings. Don't don't hoard this opportunity. <laughs> your your grandmother should not be deprived of this chance. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. But but uh, maybe you should. <laughs> but the point remains that this is like a rare case where uh, somebody who believed in this and liked to bet money could perhaps do it. Mm-hmm. So how much do you regress? these positions that Pagoda has. It's definitely not intuitive as, I mean, this is what inspired this episode because you saw these numbers and at first they didn't seem to make sense, right? So it's not what I would have 
thought if you had posed this question to me without laying out the numbers, I would not have guessed that the Astros had significantly worse division chances and significantly better World Series chances. So what is there to regress? Isn't Pakoda regressing itself? Well, I don't know. I mean, one thing you could you could object to is you could say, well, I don't I don't think that third order winning percentage by itself is the best way to measure a team that I think that some combination of third order and actual winning percentage is better because I think that there are certain perhaps skills and ways of winning baseball games that third order winning percentage can't capture. That's one objection that I know some people might say might have. Mm -hmm. You could say that these winning percentages might not necessarily capture the October rosters Mm -hmm. perfectly. Uh, If, for instance, the Astros have a better bottom of their roster than the Rangers do, that would matter more for these expected winning percentages than it would uh, in the postseason when you can kind of lop seven spots off of your roster. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. I don't know. You could just say the whole thing's nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it doesn't sound totally unreasonable to me. I don't know. Does it seem unreasonable to you that the Astros are, even though they have you know, basically played 130 games now in a row at a sub-500 level, does it seem unreasonable to you that they're the second-best team in the American League? Well, when you told me that, I started looking down the list of American League teams, and there aren't really a whole lot of enticing alternatives. I would, I would, so what is it, the Blue Jays? The Royals? Yeah, the, the, Blue, Blue, Jays? the Blue Jays. And in fact, only the Dodgers... Uh, have a higher expected winning percentage in the uh, in the National League. Seems a little bullish to me, but there aren't really any. They're a really good team, though. Like <laughs> they are. Yeah. that's a really good roster. At it this looks point. good. <laughs> it yeah, looks when it's you a look good at roster. It. You, <laughs> it's you a could nice, maybe satisfying death chart these days. Could you argue that it's not a postseason roster? That because of I mean I know that that too many dingers is a is a much mocked position when describing teams Mm -hmm. but i mean they're they're very 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 much not the royals of last year right they don't have the uh incredible bullpen they don't have the put the ball in play kind of uh roster that some hypothesize is important in low scoring games and against top competition top pitchers Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if either of those objections has any merit generally speaking I'll mm-hmm. take the best team and not worry too much about style. Not worry maybe at all about style. Mm-hmm. But we did talk an awful lot about the Royals last year. And it seems like having the anti-Royals. Yeah, they've uh, they've got a good bullpen, though. It's a pretty good bullpen. And I, it's a good bullpen, but it's not a it's, it's not a it's not a notable bullpen. No, it's not. It's not Wade a, Davis. It's not a problem. It was the bullpen's not a problem. But it was notable looking in April, and maybe it's no longer notable looking. The contact versus power or the home run dependent offense thing. I, there are some like postseason beliefs that I'm not totally convinced by that I'm still willing to be persuaded by. But the like we've talked about the starting rotations and the top heavy pitching staffs and how it seems like it should help a team to be able to lop off the worst pitchers on its on its staff if it has a top heavy staff but it's hard to find statistical support for that i still can buy that that that's the case and maybe it's just hard to tease out of the numbers because it seems intuitive but the like the contact over 
just sort of strikeouts and power thing. Everything I've ever looked at myself or that anyone else has ever looked at can't find any real reason why that would be the case or that it is the case. I, that one I'm just not really, just not really buying. So I wouldn't discount them based on that. And I don't know. They're, uh, I guess their rotation is is it's pretty strong top to bottom like it's yeah it's, i mean keichel is maybe a, a, a cut above the rest of their starters but it's not like colin McHugh or casimir fires or whoever the fifth starter is is like someone that you'd be happy not to have to use they're all pretty close to each other in terms of talent so they don't seem like a team that's necessarily built for the postseason but i wouldn't say that they're built for the regular season either i still would have a hard time probably taking them over the royals at this point and i mean there really isn't anyone else in the american league that i feel good about other than the blue jays so i i might take the royals like maybe like the indians have probably been better than the astros since april but they're not gonna make it and it's it's not like they're obviously better so i would buy them as the third best team okay the Yankees are the other team that is has a good chance and that you could theoretically, again, if you bought these entirely, make a tiny bit of money. We have them at essentially 6.8%, and Vegas has them at 5.3%, and even if you don't adjust, they have them at 6.7%. So there's a tiny little margin there. Uh, but the Yankees, long way of saying, the Yankees are also overrated by Pakoda or underrated by... Vegas, which is kind of funny because anytime you hear people complain about Vegas odds, they talk about how, oh, it's just these big markets. They get bad odds because everybody bets on them and skews up the betting line. And in fact, uh, the Yankees are undervalued by Vegas. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason to think that the Yankees are a better bet than public perception? I don't know. The public perception, like remember when we talked over the offseason about the Vegas odds for the Cubs and how they seemed completely crazy and it was like what they were like the fifth best odds or something to win the world series and we kind of thought that was going crazy based on signing john lester or, or whatever they did over the offseason and yeah as it turned out you know it <laughs> hasn't been completely crazy in retrospect they're they current they have the, the best sixth, teams yeah they have the sixth they have the sixth best odds at the moment yeah so and by Picota they're seventh yeah, and yeah. so I was thinking maybe it was something similar with the Astros where it looked like the Astros were collapsing and they just got swept by the Rangers and maybe it was sort of the opposite of the Cubs offseason effect where it was just hysteria and the sky is falling and maybe there's a little bit of that with the Yankees too and that, I don't know, Tanaka has a hamstring thing and Sabathia has a, a new career-threatening ailment every day and Teixeira is out for the year and maybe most people haven't heard of Greg Bird and so you know maybe there's sort of a a panic about this old team that was somehow keeping it together and being less injured than everyone expected and suddenly the wheels are kind of coming off toward the end of the year and Evaldi is out and and all these ailments are piling up all of a sudden so I don't know they don't really strike me I guess you could say that they're the team that if they could just ride Andrew Miller and Dylan Batansis ridiculously hard in October, maybe that's part of why they've done this well thus far, that they've been able to use those guys at high leverage times, and maybe they could just 
really overwork those guys a lot in October, and maybe that would help them. I guess that would be a reason why they'd be better than the odds say they are. I should also note that these Vegas odds are not necessarily rational, and they don't always have to be rational. Uh, yesterday, uh, since yesterday, the Astros odds got worse. They got from 16 to 1 to 18 to 1, and the Rangers odds got better from 12 to 1 to 10 to 1, even though the Rangers lost and the Astros won. So there's not any rule that says these have to make sense. Yeah. And then the blue, uh, the Royals, are. we have them at 9%. Vegas has them adjusted. Vegas has them at 12%. It is the least surprising thing in the world that Pakoda has a lower <laughs> estimate of the Royals. You should write an article about the typical why that person is. <laughs> does. Uh, and then the Blue Jays uh, are the favorites by a lot. Vegas has them at... 17% likely to win. We have them at 19% likely to win. Uh, you cannot make money on that, though, because Vegas' actual odds have them at 21% to win. So, anyway, uh, Blue Jays, uh, clear clear favorites, and um, always a good reminder that just making the postseason, in my head, for years and years, I would just use a shorthand that once you made it to the postseason, to a full series, your odds were 12% and 12.5%, because they were 1-8. And in fact, uh, true talent does separate you and the Blue Jays, for instance, are one in five to win, even though there are eight teams of which they are one. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. To the National League, the Cubs and the Pirates are both right around where they're supposed to be. The Mets are overbet or over over favored. Uh, Vegas has them at 11 percent. We have them at 9.6. It's actually pretty close. Cardinals, Vegas has it 11%. We have them at 8.8. It's relatively close, but low. All these are low. The Cardinals are low. The Mets are low. The Pirates are low. The Cubs are low. And that's all because, or I should say high by Vegas, is odds high, low by Pecotas. And that's all because there's a big gap between the Dodgers and Vegas. Vegas has the Dodgers at 11% to win. We have them at 19% to win. <laughs> and uh, they are another team that theoretically you could even make money betting against the actual odds that are given to you, which are 14%. So why would anybody be overlooking the Dodgers at this point? I mean, isn't it isn't it just sort of common knowledge that the Dodgers are like a powerhouse and that they, I mean, also that they have, if there is a myth, probably a myth about the postseason, it is that you get to, the team with the best aces is going to win, mm-hmm. and the Dodgers have the two best pitchers in baseball, mm-hmm. and... They're just, I mean, they're a, they are a team that's played very well, that is running away with the division, that has good, that is probably going to have home field advantage in their first series, that has kind of air of dominance, I think, to some degree, because they've been able to sign whoever they want for the last few years. Even if they're not going to win 110 games, I still feel like most of the world thinks the Dodgers are a really great team. And yet, strangely, you can get pretty good odds on them at this point. So why would that be? Hmm. Well, it was a close race for a while. You said they're running away with the division, but that's a a pretty recent lead. It was closer than everyone expected for much of the year, and the Giants made it close. And there was a perception that the Dodgers were disappointing there for a while, right? That they had all the money in the world, and they were the clear favorites, and they still had a you know, two two game lead a, a month ago or whenever it was. So maybe there's some of that, and they've kind of opened it up lately. 
and now it's not really a race, and they've been better in the second half. So maybe it's partially that. Maybe it's some lingering like relic of Clayton Kershaw and the bullpen imploding last offseason. And Joe Sheehan recently wrote a, a newsletter entry about the Dodgers' bullpen and about how he thinks it's better than people are giving it credit for, that everyone is remembering last year when there was no bullpen, and that's why Kershaw had to keep pitching when he was tired. And he says now the bullpen could be a strength, certainly not a weakness. So maybe it's just a, a lingering kind of artifact of last postseason or the fact that they are spending much more than anyone else is, and yet it was still a race for much of the year. Yeah. So let me ask you about the Dodgers. One of the things since um, you know since Andrew Friedman at all took over is that um, they are smart and they have money, and so they can kind of put their uh, how, how do I put this? They can put their analytics into so many different parts of the organization because they have money to experiment on a lot of things. They can do the you know pinch running school, for instance. They have a lot of GMs. They can hire a lot of people to be brainy around there. And so I feel like we've seen them demonstrate uh, their analytical mindset in more areas of the organization than we're used to, even from smart analytical teams. So do you, the Tommy John thing was another example of that. Do you think that, I don't know how you would know this, but is there any sign to you or do you think that they have, specifically built this team in a way that will succeed in the postseason. Do you think that they went into this year thinking anything other than let's win as many regular season games as possible? Or do you think that they've, um, you know, built this with an idea of being as strong as possible in October specifically? Are there ways that they've used their roster or prepared their roster or uh, built as the season went on or anything like that that shows a team that is more po- more poised to win in October than a normal, you know, 95-win team is? Well, they've made a ton of roster moves, and I, I wrote something sometime last month about how there's no correlation this season between winning percentage and roster turnover. Usually the teams that have a lot of players on them are bad because they're trying to replace bad players or they have a lot of injuries or something and this year that hasn't been the case and you can look at a team like the Dodgers as a successful team that is maybe doing that intentionally and then RJ Anderson wrote something for BP not long ago about that also and how the Dodgers have kind of been just getting fresh bullpen arms all the time which is something that people said about Dan Duquette and the Orioles a few years ago about how they just always want to make sure they have a full bullpen, so they'll just call a guy up and they'll kind of rotate the the last people in the bullpen between AAA and the majors. And maybe you could say that's an effort to keep their important bullpen people fresh and not have to overwork them so that when it does get to the playoffs, you could use them for a higher percentage of your innings. You could also say that they think it helps them win in the regular season, so it doesn't necessarily have to be an October-only strategy. Or I guess if you're maybe more of a intangibles-type person, you could say they've traded for veterans. They've traded for people with postseason experience, like Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley, World Series winners, people with rings. So you could make that argument if you want. I don't know what else you could say. They have 
two aces at the top of the rotation, and that is something that everyone wants in October, but that's something everyone wants always. So I don't know what else you could pinpoint. So what's their postseason rotation? It's Kershaw, Granke, Anderson, and um, and Wood. Is that it? Yeah, or I don't know. Maybe they would use Wood as a long man, swing man type, depending on the series. If it's a five-game series, I'm not sure what they would do. Or, or they would use Anderson and Wood together in tandem, something like that. Uh, Anderson, by the way, that's, of- that's another guy that we were wrong about. Who? Brett Anderson. We uh, yes. Were, we were surprised about the, what, $10 million one-year deal that he got from the Dodgers, given how many innings, and we must have predicted the number of innings that he would pitch at some point. That's definitely something we did. And he has pitched 164 innings, which is almost as many as he pitched in the last four combined. Yep. Extremely wrong. Although, uh, if you lump him and Beachy and McCarthy together as yeah. the three heads of the Buy Risky project. Yeah. They've got basically one pitcher. And yeah. he's been good. I don't know that they regret it, but two-thirds broke down or two-thirds contributed. Right. Very little. There was, there was someone else, too, another member of that group that got hurt. Oh, well, Eric Bedard was on the team at one point, right? He was signed by them, but he never pitched for them because he got hurt he's also he sucks yeah like i wouldn't lump him with those because he's like he's not a hurt or good guy he was at one point but i guess he isn't anymore yeah okay well you could i don't know i sort of you could sort of make the case that the hurt or good scott baker oh yeah scott baker although long time since he was yeah you could sort of make the case that the hurt or good strategy i don't know that any of the guys that they signed are like the dominant like when I think of the hurt or good strategy, I think of guys who are super good, like yeah. Ben Sheets or Rich John Harden. back in the day. Yeah, Rich Harden. None of those guys are so good that you're like, heck yeah, he's healthy. We have our postseason ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is, you know, that helps. There's something to that strategy for the postseason, mm-hmm. I would think. Uh, but I don't know that it applies here. All right. Anyway, that's all. Go bet all your money <laughs> on the Astros. I don't know. Just do what makes you happy. Yeah. Okay. Bet on yourself. Uh, invest in college, uh-huh. for instance. See if you can get Fantex to invest in your future. Yeah. So anyway, Dodgers and, and Astros are the two big the two big differences, and then the the Rangers on the other side. Mm-hmm. And then the Rangers and the Angels on the other side. You hear heard it here first from the podcast sharps at baseball Given, perspectives. Look, I don't know that I <laughs> consider. I mean, these these aren't equal, but I would bet on the Dodgers and the Astros being really good than the Angels and the Rangers being really good. So yeah. I guess I'll take. But would you bet on... So you would take the Royals over the Astros, though, right now? Yes. And the Dodgers... Car- okay, so then I guess the other one would be the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Who would you take between the Dodgers and the Cardinals? Dodgers. Yeah, I would take the Dodgers and the Royals as well. I, so I guess that's a way of saying that we're split because the Cardinals are also undervalued by Pocota or overvalued, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so we're split. We think Vegas is right on a couple of them and that Pocota is right on a couple of them in our, in our hearts, in our guts. Yeah. Okay. Done. All right. By the way, didn't we 
once in an early episode of the show talk about a long-term discussion of whether Delvin Young would be out of baseball by age 30? I don't recall. I'm almost sure that we did, and I meant to bring that up earlier this month when he turned 30 and is out of baseball, although he has a shot to be back in it, I suppose. But if we said that at some point, <laughs> then good for us. Would you bet that Delman Young will play indie ball next year? Next year? No. I think I think he'll get he'll be an he'll he's still a, a spring training invite candidate, I think. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's gonna be on a team. That's true. Do you think that Delman Young will play for the Long Island Ducks <laughs> next year or the Sugarland Skeeters? I, I say I think he will at some point. You think he? It just depends whether but he wants to keep playing. I don't know about next year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. That's it. You can. Send we us. should draft. Yeah. We should draft. Sometime we should draft players that we think will be in indie ball next year. <laughs> okay. That's All right. Let's do that. Show. All right. Uh, yeah. Pretty soon we'll we'll be able to tabulate the results of our minor league free agents draft. I've been looking forward to that. All right. So that's it. You can send us emails for podcasts at baseballperspectus.com, Facebook groups at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Support our sponsor, the Play Index, at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And we will be back tomorrow.